Hey there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose. I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Hey, everybody. And Clint Broadbent. How's everybody doing? We are back from Board Game Geek Con 2015. Whew, boy. We are still getting back into the swing of things. <laughs> Sleep is still rare. If you only knew the truth. Uh, so, yeah, we had a really good, great time down in Dallas. This is our second Board Game Geek for Jonathan and myself. This was your third one, is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So what were your impressions? How did this convention compare to last year's? I tell my wife that this is my Disneyland. It is the most magical place on earth <laughs> where some of my fav- some of my favorite characters walk around. The first day when we just checked in, I told the guys, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. And right as I was walking into the bathroom, Tom Vassell walks by out of the bathroom and says, hey, and just walks on by. And I'm like, I've arrived. So it was, uh, but it was just great to see a lot of these people that I, that I know and, and love from board game review sites, from podcasts. It was fun to meet some people. But no, that's great because you do, you get to, you become so familiar with different personalities because that's kind of what they've become uh, with Tom Vassell, Dan King, Rado, all those folks were at board game geek con and it was really cool to kind of meet with them and just chat with them briefly. Your your mission was to actually get to talk to Rado. Yes, did that. Snapped a photo with him. It's a very nice guy, um, very friendly. Just just a great guy. I, I had a good time talking to him for a couple minutes, and uh, it was fantastic to meet him. Yeah, he was very, very nice, except when he tried to knock me over. <laughs> what was going on there? Clint was twisting my arm to take a picture with him. I, I always find that to be kind of little... I was twisting real hard eye roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he we got next to each other, and then all of a sudden I start feeling more weight on my shoulder, more weight, more weight, more weight, and f- eventually I lose my lose my balance. And Clint snaps the picture as we're he's leaning literally into me. So it's a great picture. It is. It's pretty pretty funny. But I, I chatted with him a little bit afterwards. You know, I talked about you know I asked him if he was surprised about how how big his videos have become. He's like, y- yeah, he's just kind of amazed by it because <laughs> he says that it's like one of the most unprofessional, uh, you know, just thrown together videos. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, I think that's what makes them so great. And he's like, yeah, I think you're right. But I, I really do. I love his his approach. As he's thinking through the processes, it just comes out. He shares what it's like to actually be playing the game. And I really like him for his two-player-centric perspectives as well. I like to call him Stream of Consciousness Rado. <laughs> just whatever goes through his mind, just bleh, right, right out. And I think that at the start, I really didn't like that. But after a little while, you kind of grow to love it. That, you know, sometimes people like to mince words or can't sugarcoat stuff. If Rado, something comes into Rado's mind, he'll just bump, he'll just kind of say it. And I think that that ability to be genuine yeah. makes him so nice. And he's just that way in person, too. I think it's a thing. I don't think his videos are unprofessional. I think it is just so genuine, you know? So you get really to the heart of what it's like to play this game with him. Very cool. So one other thing really quickly. We ran to Emerson Matsuuchi at the convention. We got to play Spectre Ops with him last year. We had him on the podcast. Really hoping to be able to play his social deduction game didn't get to happen, but you did learn that he is a big fan of your one of your favorite games, Clint. Uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, uh, I'd have to say I admired him, uh, but when I he came walking out with the copy of Robinson Crusoe and I asked him about it, he's like, "Oh yeah, I've played this like twenty or thirty times." I'm like, "We are soulmates," <laughs> and so I I really like him. Uh, he's got great taste in games, and uh, I'm really excited. I think. Tom mentioned it a little while ago, but I think he's really one of those the designers that I he's got some really great hits so far. I'm excited to see what he does in the future. Yeah, so I really look forward to, to seeing that social deduction game come out and his caravan game as well. I'm still a really big fan, and people in my office loved that game. Like they're thinking about buying it as well. My my boss is actually really excited for the the Spice Road version of Caravan. She wants the camels and all that. So mm-hmm. great. So how how did this convention compare to the one from last year, Jonathan? There were quite a few similarities and a few differences. Number one, we went down on a day early from last year. Last year we came down on a Friday, so we came up down on a Thursday. 
that changed things up a little bit because that first day last year, I mean, like I said, I think we had dinner at 2.30 in the morning or something ridiculous like that. And it was just kind of felt like I burned myself out on that first day last year. Knowing that I had that extra day really helped me pace myself, I think. But I still had this weird feeling of a different time flow, convention time, as I was calling it. I mean, it's just... I remember one time we one time we look up and it's four o'clock in the afternoon and we're like, where did the day go? I mean, I feel like we just got here at the convention for the day and it was already four in the afternoon. So day two was the blur for me because we started out, we played Jokirian. That was the I picked it up on on Thursday and we got the game, got it all set up first thing on Friday and we're done and I'm like it's almost lunchtime what in the world happened yeah we played that thing first thing in the morning it was and uh after we got done with that yeah it was about time to to wrap it up it was to have lunch it was pretty crazy so we we played a lot of games so the the very first day we were there we I I thought we didn't we spent a lot of time in the exhibitors hall I felt like kind of checking things out because you want to kind of see what's for sale kind of talk with other folks. What were your thoughts of the exhibitor hall this year? I thought it was good. I liked the way it was split up into two sections. And it, it kind of was last year too, but I felt like, you know, it's just a little better organized in my mind. And I had a different experience because we did the bingo card thing, which I didn't mess with last year, where we got a little stamp or a little sticker from the different people that we talked to. Talked to. And so that was a different experience for me. Um, I didn't worry about that last year at all. What did you guys think about doing the bingo card? I liked it quite a bit because I got to talk with people that I probably wouldn't honestly go up and talk to. But I tried to be very authentic about it. I wanted to go up to, well, you know, this game, what, what, tell me about it. I don't, I've not heard about it. I want, give me, give me your pitch. I want to kind of interact and kind of learn a little bit more about these games that have not been on my radar at all. Yeah, same thing for me. I really liked the bingo card. This was the first year that I did the bingo card, and I, st- I really liked it. I thought it was fun. I had a lot of ones that I was like, I would have never in a million years gone and visited this person. And sometimes there was actually like a booth that I walked up and like they weren't there and there were like stickers on the table. So, I mean, some people embrace it and some people are just like, okay, this is just a hoop to jump through. But I really liked it. Um, I found a couple games that I I'd never knew anything about, but I'm actually interested in and I'm, um, I'm looking at, you know, possibly getting those after I play the mountain of games that uh, I got. So... Yeah, the mountain. That that pretty much sums it up. I, I'm very thankful that I had a spot in the car on the way back home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so give give us a recap of uh, of your acquisitions here. You 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 traded away eight. Yes. And you acquired how many? Twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is real. Um, <laughs> this year, I found the flea market, the virtual flea market. Yes, yes and uh, which was really bad for me personally. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing was I just kept getting some great deals on some games. It was a great situation, and that like people would put out games. I'm like, oh, I like that game. Here's what I'd like to pay for it. Like I said, mostly typically good deals, and some people were would take them, and some people would say, no, I don't want to go that low. And it was just a really easy way, and like over about two weeks of just, you know, just checking the updates and making offers, I started noticing that I was winning all these, a lot of bids, a lot of bids. And, and there were some party games that I, you know, I could work with a youth group, so there were some party games. They were giving party games away for like five bucks. And I was like, well, this will we'll definitely use this. You know, I'd play this with a group. And so I just, like I said, I at the end, I had 20, I, I got 22 games. And then there were a couple games that I never play at all. And I'm just like, wow, I never get to play these games. And I was looking at some of these and people were buying these for like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if someone wants to pay that much for that game... I had a couple people like got a copy of Macau and the guy was excited. Like everybody was commenting after he bought it. It was like, great buy. I'm so glad that you got this. And I'm just like, well, sweet. It got to go to a good home. And so. Yet I feel like there was one game that you, you got rid of that you did it in the flea market that everyone was pretty much saying, why did you get rid of this game? I want that game. Why did you get rid of that game? I would have bought it from you. Yes. I had I had a copy of Indonesia, 
and and Indonesia is a splatter game. Uh, I got it. I got it for super cheap in a trade about five years ago, and I've played it maybe once or twice since. And and everybody, like I said, when I put that up there, I had somebody offer a great offer for it, and I like to think it went to a good home. And there are other games I just play more, and I kind of got to the point where I'm just like, I think this is good, and it's good to have this like as a collector. But I just don't see it. Us, I don't see us playing it for the next, you know, two or three years. And so I was just like, let's just, you know, by then I was hundreds of dollars in in the in the red. <laughs> so this really helped me catch back up. Sure, um, it get me back in the black. So I actually walked out with some money in my pocket. So yes. it was pretty nice. Did you end up selling your second copy of Blood Rage? I did. I did. Um, I actually ended up selling that on the Board Game Geek Marketplace. marketplace. Mm-hmm. There was just there there, it was kind of a popular sell, and a lot of people weren't they weren't willing to pay what they were typically selling at. So I said, well, I'll just throw that out there. I within about three hours of putting it up there, I had someone that that bought it, and I shipped it like the day before we went to Board Game Geek, and it worked out. It worked out really well. Great. So I highly recommend the Board Game Geek Marketplace. It's pretty amazing. Um, if you ever are looking for a hard to get game, there are people out there that are selling these great games. I actually bought a game from the Board Game Geek Marketplace, and picked it up on our way there. I was going to say, this is this is how bad it was. We met a guy in the parking lot of Walmart on our way to Dallas. Shady. I, I have a problem. I know this. I know this. But it was a game that I wasn't – It was he had it for the right price, and I didn't want to pay shipping. And he lived on our way on the drive down, so it was it was a smooth handoff. Okay, uh, but uh, yeah, I was wheeling and dealing. It was bad. It was bad. Granted, you had so many deals going, you forgot that you already paid this guy. You were trying to give him more money. <laughs> he was really nice and didn't accept it, but I really did. I had everything out like in I had like everything in a big envelope, and I was just like, <laughs> I felt like a I felt like a drug dealer. It's like, okay, how much of my big old wad do I need to give to you? So, uh, but I really had fun. It's one thing that I think I'll do probably more measured next year, but uh, I, I really liked it. And for the most part, uh, it was a really positive experience with the virtual flea market. So if you're ever planning on going to Board Game Geek Con, right. uh, check out that or Gen Con or anything. They usually have a flea market there. It's worth take, it's worth taking a look at. Yeah. And that's how I was, the virtual flea market's how I was able to pick up a copy of Drakirian before it was actually released, which is, I feel kind of guilty about it because the Kickstarter backers haven't received their copies yet, at least Ooh. in the United States. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they're getting some, they're getting some Kickstarter exclusive stuff. So I'm sure they're not, they're not weeping in their pillows quite yet. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're getting a, an exclusive bag and a, and a cover for the game, but yeah. nothing else really beyond that. But still... I, I was thankful I was able to get a copy. Um, they weren't selling that at the at the dealer hall at all, were they? Uh, Fun Again Games had the core game, but, but they didn't, didn't have, have the expansion. No, they didn't have the expansion. Which the expansion, and we're going to get into this. Yes, I, you're you're missing you're missing a lot. I think that expansion is gonna. It, I we haven't played it yet, but I'm really excited to play the expansion. Sure. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about on that. Now, I did the little bit of the flea market, not nearly as much as what you did. But Jonathan, you and I did the math trade. Yes. And what were your experiences? This is our first time doing the math trade. We did one previously at the state level, but we haven't really done one at Board Game Geek before. This was actually my first one. I I didn't jump in on the state level one. Oh, I thought you I did. Almost did. Okay. Almost did. So it was my first one. Uh, I was a little nervous. Because I felt like at the end of the 900-something item list that I just started clicking random things that I would accept. So I had no idea for a little bit what I was going to be getting. But actually came out with some stuff that I'm pretty excited about. And um, felt like the process was pretty easy and pretty smooth doing the handover, changing over games. Trade off six things and got six things back. So feel good. Yeah, I think we put about the same number of games up. You got six trades, I got two. I think I was being a little too restrictive because I get I'm I'm at a point where I if I'm not really excited about getting a game, I'm a little less likely to you know give up something that a lot of the games I have, some of them I just know I'm not gonna play again. The thing is, is that probably other people feel the same way about some of these games that I don't want that. So perhaps I was being a little too restrictive trying to get things that I know I'd be really excited to get, but wasn't offering enough 
incentive for people to want to trade with me. Interesting thing. I want to throw two things out. One thing that I did notice when I did do the flea market, I noticed that the games I sold said a lot about where I've come as a board gamer. Because almost every game that I sold, they were dry, themeless euros for the most part. And uh, there was a time where I was um, super on the euro bandwagon. Dice were anathema or just not. I I did not want to have anything to do with that. And I've known that I've the pendulum has kind of gone back the other way. In which I I there are a couple games that I'm just like, hey, you know what? Uh, This is not a game that I'm going to get played anytime soon. So I was pretty easy. I was pretty okay with passing it out, you know. Absolutely. And that's the thing is I still really like those games that have a lot of strategy to it, but have that interesting theme that kind of ties everything together. Because I like to feel excited about, oh, we're going to play this game. If you feel like you're actually a part and immersed in that theme, that can take the game, again, from a good game to a great game in some cases, I feel. So you said there were two things. Uh, The other thing I noticed is that after doing the virtual flea market, I'm kind of at a point where I didn't do the math trade this time. I don't know. I think I'm going to tend to to favor the virtual flea market more often in this. If there's a if there's a chance for that, I'm not going to like not do math trades. But I've been burned by math trades. Kind of in that last thing, if it's like eleven o'clock, it's like an hour before the the want lists or things, and I start clicking things. And I trade a good, like a game that I typically like for a, a copy of something I already traded for mm-hmm. on accident. And I'm just like, oh, wow. You know, it was great because I got to give it as, as a gift to somebody. But it was kind of a bummer. But I, I said my experience with the virtual flea market was so good. I, I don't I don't foresee myself going nuts on the on the math trade yep. anymore. And I think I kind of undersold on the math trade, honestly. But I don't think I would have gotten any trades if I hadn't, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, but overall, I'm I'm happy. I got rid of uh, Puerto Rico, which doesn't do it for me. It, <sighs> I know, I know. Mm-hmm. I I like San Juan a lot. I like yeah. the card game version. I don't know what it is about Puerto Rico, the board game. It just I feel like I can get that same feel in the card game, and I'm I, I'm a big fan of that. And I got rid of Libertalia, which I know you're going to give me flack for. Yeah. Uh, selling out on the pirates there, Ashon. Huh? <laughs> the ninja the ninja boat is still floating. It's really doing good. Hey, Cool Mini or Not doesn't have a ninja game yet. Oh, they will. <laughs> but yeah, Libertalia was kind of a disappointment for me. Jonathan was putting in a Cool Stuff order and was like, hey, do you want anything? I'm like, ah, put Libertalia in there. Wait, mm-hmm. this is my fault. Yes, yes, we'll we'll go with that. Okay, but no, I like the like the pirate theme. I was looking, wanting, it was a lot longer of a game than I thought it was going to be, and I just didn't feel like it was. It had the pirate, it had the pirate theme, but I don't feel like it. I didn't really feel like I was playing as a pirate per se. But a lot of those games feel that way. The only pirate game I really feel like I was being a pirate was really Merchants and Marauders, honestly. And you know, pirates. It's kind of a weak link in the whole theme chain. So you know. <laughs> I can understand jumping ship, pun intended, but uh, I still have my copy of Libertalia and quite quite like it. I think if that was a four player game, I would have, would never have got it. It just does really well with six players, and I'm never going to get that many pe- people to play it. Yeah, and that's kind of my big sells that I tend to have a lot of groups of people, and I love those games like Mysterium that goes six to seven, and it's got a little bit of a crunch. It's not just a party game. I could understand. I understand your gripes, but. I know. Like I said, Ninja Boat is is open and set in sale. No sale. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the highlights of kind of what we did. So on, on Thursday, we kind of started off going through the exhibit exhibitor halls, which, again, I like the setup. Like you said, they had the two different rooms. The Hot Games room was actually moved from where the exhibitors are now because they had part of the exhibitors in the main open gaming area. So they actually took a big chunk of that play area out and was devoted towards the exhibitor area and then the where the exhibitors were this year that's where they had the hot games but they completely revamped that that other room and it's really nice i'm glad they put the exhibitors over there but what did you think about the hot games being in the main game hall did you like that i liked it and i also disliked it i mean i liked that it was handy and convenient right there but i also felt like it was always crowded I just I never felt like those games were open i felt like there really wasn't enough room 
to just kind of walk around and, and look at them. Some of them I just wanted to stand over and look at them for a few minutes and just see what was there. And I just kind of felt a little bit claustrophobic just because the, those tables I felt like were a little bit tight and just so much stuff was packed in there. I kind of liked it a little bit better last year when they were in their own little room and it was just a little bit of a different feeling, but maybe that's just me. Uh, personally for me, I, I have, I feel a little bit differently. I think this year was a, was a ton better. I felt like it was a ton better for the gamer. Yes. I had a couple times where I got to play and we'll talk about this. I got to play some games that I really, really wanted to play. And one of the only reasons why I was able to do that was because I was walking around and I thought I was in the same room. I was thinking to myself, hey, why don't I go pass by here? And as luck would have it, twice I got to get in on a game that I really wanted to play and that I don't think I would have if I would have said, oh, maybe I should go check that. And I would have gone to the other right. side of the booth. But on the opposite side, for a seller, I feel terrible for some of those sellers because I know that there were some people that didn't even know that there was another exhibitor hall. Like the exhibitor hall was, was cut into two. Yeah. There's people that didn't even know that that existed. And I bet you some of the people in that other exhibitor hall probably felt kind of gypped, didn't get as much traffic. But I thought I thought it was good. The other thing I didn't like is that when it was in that the room, when the hot games last year, that room, it was had a din that was like you could like it was hard to hear other people. That's true. Because the thing, but like the the dividers kind of absorbed some of that sound uh, this year. So I liked it the way it is. Like I'd want it the way it is now. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't I was really certain about it at first because the only way I was able to play Alchemists last year was because everyone was at the closing ceremonies and I camped out to get to Alchemists and the other room because it was just, it's kind of segregated. Was And I was like, I kind of liked it being separated but but I think I'm with you now. I think I like the it in the in the main gaming area. Now I'm not. I don't want to be too critical here because I mean I I love this convention a lot. But one of my biggest complaints was that there weren't hardly any teachers for for the hot games, and that was frustrating. Now you got you had some players whenever you played Gallerist who had already played. Is that right? Yeah, it was funny. I actually Bruce from Oklahoma. Yes, a friend of ours was actually teaching the rules and I had tended I walked by he was just a late he was just a convention goer he wasn't part of BGG and he taught the rules and then the second time I played I taught the rules so it was kind of a yeah you're right I, I never had somebody teach me the rules that were actually from the convention yeah so I that that was disappointing but I've I've never really seen them it's not that they've dropped that it's just that they just don't really do it a lot yeah which you wish they would do more of. And that's why on our very last day, on Sunday, the hot games area was pretty empty. We were able to pick up Seven Wonders Duel, got a quick game of that in. I saw a couple of players kind of, I wouldn't say struggling, but Trakirian's got a lot of lot of moving pieces at, at times. And I kind of saw them kind of going through the rule book, and they were trying to get the setup. And I'm like, you know what? I think I could help them. So I went over there and I helped explain some of the core things of the game just to kind of get them on the right right foot. So You good Samaritan. But actually, you know, in terms of how I approached this particular convention, now I t- mentioned this to Jonathan in passing as we were walking through the open gaming area. Sometimes yeah, they, they have those flags where they can say, you know, teacher, teachers wanted, players wanted. I'm like, I should just go around and sit down at tables for people I don't even know who want need players and just learn these games I have no no knowledge of and just kind of meet new people. I think that would have been a pretty pretty cool. I think that was something I felt too is that I felt like I had the games. We had the games that we really wanted to play, but you know, some of those like you said the second the two times that I sat down with complete strangers had a great time. Met some met some nice people and you know, made some new friendships. So I mean, it was it was fun to do that. I wish we could do that more. Absolutely. I had no desire to do that. And that'll be of no surprise to any of our listeners. Yes. <laughs> Why don't you like that, Jonathan? Like, just, you just don't like uh, social adverse or? I have three friends. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> not only does he not like games, he doesn't like people, apparently. <laughs> Hashtag grumpy gamer. <laughs> All right, let's do a rundown of what we played on Thursday. So we got in, we were there, we, we avoided the crazy lines that yeah. existed on Wednesday. So I'm kind of a fan of getting there on Thursday. I agree. I agree. I, I mean, wouldn't want to get there on Wednesday, honestly. So And and really having that extra day, it was nice. It was nice. I felt like it was the perfect amount of time. 
Yeah, so I think Thursday's my my day to arrive in the future. So on Thursday, the first game we played at the convention, we stopped by the Fantasy Flight Games booth, and we got to do a game of Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. This was on Jonathan's list of games that you really wanted to play. Definitely. Did it live up to your expectations? Spoiler, no. (laughs) (laughs) We played a partial game. I thought it was fine. It was a good game. It wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be, and I think at the end of the day, I just thought to myself I'd rather be playing Lord of the Rings card game. And honestly, that was the exact same thing that was going through my mind as I was playing this. Even even soloing it, I, I was trying to I was trying to look at it as a possible solo game, but even soloing it, just I think it's I think it's a decent game. I think it's a good game. It just wasn't quite as exciting as I thought it would be, and I'm. Fine with that. So, what was missing from it? What What were you hoping this game would have that it did not deliver? That's a good question. Um, uh, that's, that's the question I want to know. I really don't know. It was a little bit slow, and yeah, we were just learning it. And the guy who was teaching us kind of drifted off a little bit. I mean, he was he was good, but he drifted off for a minute. And at times, I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I just it, it reminds me a little bit too much of Lord of the Rings, and I like the Lord of the Rings game better. My thing that I that stuck with me was that you're right. It did it did have a lot of Lord of the Rings in there, but in Lord of the Rings, you feel like you kind of you have all these cool things that you can do to cheat the system and to to advance in the game. And in that game, I know I really had the feeling of I had like four static cards yep. that I tap and untap, tap and untap, and the deck, the bad guy deck, was kicking our butts. But I felt like I was like. I have these four cards. I'm not getting anything else cool out of these. I'm just tapping and untapping, tapping and untapping. And I just I just didn't feel like I didn't feel cool. I mean, I, my stuff was different, but I didn't feel like I had like this cool stuff. I wanted like a a hammer that could help me hit harder or do something like that. And so I didn't feel like I didn't feel like uh the experience was ours. I felt that the game was playing us over us playing the game. And that, that's part of the problem with playing, you know, a demo and a partial game is we never got to experience any kind of gear really or any other kind of building up and leveling up, which, you know, is supposedly a part of that system. So, I mean, I, I can't give it a full evaluation, but I'm okay. I think I think I'd rather just invest in more Lord of the Rings is what, what I came down to at the end of the day. But I think this game would definitely appeal to people who are not a fan of the whole idea of customizing their decks. Definitely. Definitely. If you don't want a deck build straight out of the box, this would be a good game for you to kind of give you that experience. And I think I think there's a good game there. It's just not what I was looking for. Yeah. And the interesting thing about, Clint, you're saying that you tap and untap. One of your cards, and each person's card was different. We had, We all had the same abilities at the start of the game, but we had different attributes on those cards. So like one of us was better at attacking, one of us was better at doing some other things, but one of the cards, whenever you activate it, it allows you to refresh all your other cards. So it's all a little bit about the strategy of when do you activate certain cards to be able to reset all the other cards. Because if you attack, for example, and your attack card is not the one that lets you refresh everything else, well, you got to decide, when am I going to refresh that to get that attack ability back? So there are some neat things going on within that game. But again, I felt like something was missing. It could have just been the demo that we went through. Knowing us being slow, we didn't get all the way through it. But yeah, I think it, it has promise for some gamers. I don't think it's something that I feel like I need to, to pick up when I already have Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So one of the other games that Clint, just kind of on the whim, it was right across from Fantasy Flight, there was the Artana Games booth, and they were doing their demo of a new game with collaboration between two designers. Dirk Neumeyer. And uh, Rob Davio of the Legacy Games fame. So this is, it's called Origins Chronicle 1. It, it's a it's a very interesting take on kind of it's not not really a legacy game. I think what the Rob Davio was brought in kind of as just kind of a second chair of sorts to kind of give some suggestions on how to implement how things can carry over to future games. Kind of tapping into that legacy element, they call it the ecosystem in this game. Mm-hmm. So why don't you give the rundown of what this game Origins was all about for us? 
The idea of, of Origins was it was a semi-cooperative game in which we were all on the same tribe following this leader, and we were kind of aspiring to become the leader. And there were different things that we could do. We could increase our intelligence to get new skills. We could go be hunter-gatherers. We can go gather resources. We can go explore different places. We can go, quote-unquote, pacify the uh, the population. Or we could go and we could build up our civilization and buy, build new buildings that could help us down the road. I really, when she was explaining it to me, the the person at the booth, I was like, this sounds like something that I would like. I, civilization building. I thought it was, I thought it would be something interesting and kind of on a whim. And, and, you know, we were kind of puttering around. We'd been around the games hall and we were like, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, why don't we give this a try? They were having play tests. Mm-hmm. It's still in, I'd say, probably they described it as a beta of a beta uh, yes and it was rough at parts just kind of as a general review we got to play it i thought we had i thought it was i thought it was pretty fun there were some things that were a little clunky that we were trying to work through but overall i felt like we had a, there was something there was something cool about what we were doing and i feel like if they can really tighten up some of the the you know the action there's a lot of worker placement I feel like if they could tighten some things up and balance some things out, I think it could be a really interesting game that could tell a really cool story. And the idea here is that whenever you finish your game of the first, the Origins, the Chronicle 1, you can pick up the Chronicle 2, which takes place in a different time period. And the faction that you actually created, the civilization you created in the first game, that becomes a faction you can play as in the second game. So there's kind of some neat elements of how that carries over. We each started with a, an attribute. For example, I was Sean, the stubborn. Mm-hmm. You were Clint, the accommodating. I was Clint, the accommodating. And you were Jonathan, the fearful. Should have been grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as we went through, there were different things that triggered. Um, it gave our our civilization different attributes. It was kind of it was kind of weird how we kept seeming to get the same attributes. We got the same attribute multiple times for our civilization. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's still some just working out some of the the kinks in the system. But it it looks like it has promise. It looks neat. This is the same company that did Edison and Tesla. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they also did Tomorrow and things like that. has a very interesting art style. Yeah, I'd say. But I really liked the art style. How did you guys feel about the art style? Interesting as in like, ah, she's got a... She's got a great personality. <laughs> is, this, is that oh kind of what I'm... Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was okay. I did not love it, though. I mean, I understand they're kind of going for a sort of pseudo-primitive style. Mm-hmm. It felt a little too primitive and just a little bit unpolished. But... but again, this is still an early development. The cards, the locations you could go and visit, I thought those were beautiful. Beautiful. They were beautiful, very well beautiful. done. Um, I think if they can get the rest of it to kind of match that quality of those cards, which we got to keep one of them after our game, yeah, which was really cool. So I think this this game has some promise. I, I really look forward to seeing more. I could definitely be interested. I it definitely piqued my interest. I I walked away thinking this is a very unfinished game. Like there were things that needed to be fixed, but I think if they really tighten it up, I mean, it could be a really cool story to tell. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's what's the neat thing is, is that different things, whenever you go and you pacify or you go and explore different locations, if there's not already other civilizations or other native tribes in that location, uh, there's a little story elements that play out, which was what sold me on this whole thing. So I think it has some neat things. I think it's just working out how those stories unfold and how it affects the rest of the game that, Still needs to be developed a little bit more, but I really look forward to seeing more of this. So one of the other games we played was Treasure Hunter. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, you got something to say about this? Meh. <laughs> it it was it was it was okay. I think we're gonna start getting coming up with a theme here. That uh, I think that uh, Jonathan and Sean stayed in the same hotel room. And I guess the grumpy gamer gene is infectious uh, because these guys were grumpy gamers. Uh, But I I would say that I liked Treasure Hunter more than these two. Treasure Hunter was by far not the worst game I played. (laughs) That is a a Jonathan saying right there. Wow. I've never heard one. 
I'm gonna hold on. I gotta go put on my disease mask, baseball <laughs> thing, making sure I don't breathe in the air. <laughs> wow. You've been playing too much Pandemic Legacy. Yes, exactly. Here's the thing: Treasure Hunters is a light. It's a light game. Mm-hmm. I think it has. I, what did you like about it? I like that again. This is. I always say this: the game was a half an hour. The game was a half an hour game. The game was a half an hour. <laughs> It was an hour game. I've heard that three times. I know. How oh, long was it? I can't quite convey the, the look of disdain on Sean's face as I'm saying. I'm listening. Yes. I, I, the game was a half an hour. And so in my thing is a half an hour game. It was fun for what it did. If it was an hour game, I would I would agree with you. But I thought that the game moved along quickly. Like, after we learned the rules, the game cooked along very quickly. The game was over quick. I thought there were some interesting decisions. There was some tension there of, I hope they don't pass me these cards. Yeah. I, I liked I, I liked the game. So, the, the thing about Treasure Hunter is I don't feel like it's a bad game. And I, I, I see your argument that it's a short game, and, it, and it's, it fits that little area. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think about... What other games would I enjoy more in that 30-minute block? I, I do not need to own this game at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's, I have enough of those other games that fit within that 30-minute window that I felt like was a more fun experience. I can't argue with that. I did not buy the game. Um, sure. I did not buy the game. I think in the end, I really want to try Medieval Academy, mm-hmm. um, which I've heard it be compared to. And so while I thought it was a good game, it might have been, I'd say, maybe a six and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good game, uh, but it didn't, it didn't scream to me. Go out and buy. Yeah, I don't argue that it's not a good game. I don't. It's not a great game for me. No. It, there was a lot of grumbling before and after, like after the game. Like it being, I went into that game with an open mind. I feel like Jonathan, <laughs> he'd already made up his mind about it. There, are fingers being pointed, just so you wow. know, br- to wow. bring you into this podcasting room. <laughs> I actually thought it was okay, but it just there was nothing exciting for me in there. Mm-hmm. So my question is: is that is it just that we're just spoiled because we play so many games, or we're? I think I've hit that point where I'm being much more. I'm being pickier about my games at this point. What thirty-minute card drafter do you have that would take that spot? Biblios. You don't have that. I have Biblios. <laughs> That's like yeah. I'm sorry. I have more fun with Sushi Go. Ooh, uh, that's that's all right. That's low. That's all right. That's not low. That is a perfectly fine game. It's not as deep as say Treasure, Treasure Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. If you're looking for a deeper game, I, that's fine. I think I would have a harder time introducing Treasure Hunter to my lunchtime coworkers. Hundred percent. And I think when I'm looking for a thirty minute game, I'm either going to play it with my family or I'm going to play it with my coworkers. Uh-huh. More than likely. So it didn't excite me, and if it doesn't excite me, then I have no need to get it. Yeah. So. And so, like, and and so, in my case, like, I'm not arguing for you to get it. I I was just saying I liked it. it ha- there were some really interesting decisions. I liked that you had to go high or low. That was interesting. Yes. There was one card that you could cancel out any card that you get, and I'm like, well, that's a dumb card. Why would you want to do that? Oh, it makes a big you, difference. And you were getting like the last card, like the last card in the draft. Like you don't have any choice over it, and you're like, you want that card hanging in your in your hand. I I thought there were some really interesting decisions for a 30 minute game. It was good. It wasn't special. I feel like the one there were different numbered cards. I feel like the number one card is overpowered. If you start a hand with a number one, you're probably going to want to hold on to it as long as the reward for going low is a good one. Mm-hmm. Because there were so many rounds where I think Jonathan, you were able to get a one card. You held on to it. And I got you, a one a couple times, and you made sure that you got rid of every other card of that color as best you possibly could. Yeah. And sometimes you can't help it, but I think that one really makes a big difference because you start out with that, and you're going for the low. It's a lot easier to go low than it is to go high. I feel like I, I felt the same way. There were some times where I had the one, and somebody passed me the last card was that color. So yes. there were some there were random elements that if it were a longer game, it would have frustrated me. The other thing that I really like is that you can get like special ability tiles mm-hmm. that reward you for doing a certain something. I really find that I like that as a game mechanism. Mm-hmm. It gives me it gives me purpose. It gives me something to shoot for. It's like the game within the game. 
I like that in games, and I and there are no, there's another game that really does that that I'll talk about later. Great. So we finished up our Thursday night. We actually got with a couple of other guys. We got with uh, we got the time stories to the table. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the games that Clint, you were really excited to try out. Jonathan and I had already gone through the first the asylum case, mm-hmm. but I was willing to teach it. So we had Clint, we had Ben, we had Keith, and we had Eric. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of took on the role of kind of teaching the game, kind of, I wouldn't say mentor, but when things came up, tried to give some suggestions, like dropping subtle hints about, you know, you know, every lead isn't worth following. They didn't listen. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jonathan, you didn't want to, to play again. So you actually went and soloed Sylveon, right? Yes, I did. Uh, your your 15-second review. Beautiful game. It's not bad. It was a little too high price-wise for what you get in that game, I thought. But it's it's a nice little solo game. Did you win? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would your evaluation be higher if you won? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest. He's not lying. So time stories, unfortunately, we kind of there were some things that kind of got that game off rails, unfortunately. Jonathan and I didn't get to stay in the Board Game Geek Hotel. We had to check in somewhere else, look at our clock. Oh, crud, it's 10 o'clock. We haven't checked into our hotel. So I'm like, okay, I've we got you got through your first run. We had you had just finished your first run, mm-hmm. and I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, sorry. I, you've got the first run. I call me, you know, I'm gonna go get check in the hotel. And as I'm driving away, I'm like, there's no point in me going back. By the time I get there, get back, you'll we'll have eaten up a lot of time. We're just gonna call it quits. Told you, went to bed. Said, you know, text me if you have any questions. Never got a text. Next morning, first thing, first thing that popped in my head. Oh, crud. <laughs> I didn't have him read the failure card for not getting through the first run. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you guys had to figure that out a little bit into your second run. I don't know how far along you were. Yes. Uh-huh. It was, I think, at the end of our second run. Oh, my God. It was the first. This is the thing is that I'll tell you, the first run through, the first run while you were there was amazing. Like it is amazing how fast that game hooks you and you're just you're just there. And I loved it. I fell in love with it. Sean left. He had every right to leave. I always tell him don't don't beat himself up about it. But we ran through the second run and we we followed a red herring to the end of the earth and really got burned. And then all of a sudden, like imagine the most beautiful train crash we've ever had just uh it was late at night it was late at night and we were going to beat the whole game we were going to go through and we just didn't know the rules and we just thought just we just had to keep jumping until we got it and some some rules were missed we had it was a little rocky at times uh, and i would say that we we limped to the finish line but all in all i i said i said this i wish it was a little smoother but I was completely amazed. Like, I wanted to play that scenario again. This one kind of final smooth run through. But by that time, it was like midnight or one o'clock. And a couple of the guys were just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, we're done. And, and so I really love it. I'm all on board. I'm excited. I, I'm excited to try the Marcy case. I'm worried, though, that I won't love it as much as I love the asylum because that's just like the perfect theme for me yeah so and it's hard because like i said you can't put it back in the box you can't close the box again but in some ways like i said the the first half was really good the second half wasn't perfect but all in all i would say my experience was 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 really good yeah Um, it was good that 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 game is going to haunt me honestly (laughs) You are a good. You're a good soul for caring, Sean. Uh, but uh, you don't need to worry about. It. I love that game so much. There's been so much, you know, so many kind of bipolar perspectives on this game. Mm-hmm. Not so much that it's a bad game. Some people argue it's a bad game. I love it for the story, how it unfolds, how you're an active participant in it, and it just kills me that that experience was ruined. Because I think everyone that was playing this was really looking forward to trying it. Yes. And it derailed. Now, thankfully, you had you had you had Joel Eddy from Drive Through Reviews who actually stopped by 
and actually trying to <laughs> put the put the train cars back together. And, and Joel was really great, and it, it was perfect for him. I think you would have been that person, but he came at the right time because we were stuck at a puzzle, and he kind of he didn't give us the answer at all. He didn't even give us hints. He just said, "Just stay the course. This happens to a lot of us, you know. Just stay the course." And we did, and we did, and I think that that was it went up super high, then it then it really dipped, and then solving that puzzle was the last little was was really a cool thing. We felt like. Oh my gosh! Yes, that's it, and uh, and so that was definitely there was definitely a good payoff at the end. There definitely was a good payoff, but I think that once we got frustrated, we kind of focused tended to focus more on the mechanisms and not the game, mm-hmm. not the theme. Um, so I think that that's kind of one thing is that uh, sometimes I felt like the rules and some of the the game got in the way of the story, but again. It was a heck of a story. Yeah, and actually, we haven't finished the Marcy case. We've been trying to get it back to the table. But I actually had some rules issues with the Marcy case that I was like, something's not right here. But the nature of that game, it's so secretive that you don't want to go start flipping over cards for the fear of revealing something you're not supposed to see. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, up to this point, all of my experiences of watching other people play time stories had been very rewarding. I've really enjoyed it. Everyone's had a great experience playing it. And now I finally see that there's a dark side to this game where it can go very, very badly. It's group dependent. Some games just play themselves. This one, it, it's it's group dependent. Now, there, there are some situations in time stories that if you make some poor choices, it can really put a damper on, on the game overall. Yes. If you're going to, I would say, here's my piece of advice if you're going to play time stories. You do not have to uncover every lead. You don't want to. You have to be critical about which ones are going. you think would actually give a payoff. I think it's so enticing whenever you get you get stuck because there's a puzzle in there that you can get it's it can be challenging. If you get stuck, then it might become the mentality of let's just go every direction we possibly can, see what we've missed, mm-hmm. and then the game kind of punches you in the gut for doing that sometimes in a video game you have all the time in the world like in an rpg like i just i like hug the walls and like look under everything to to find everything i have i'm a a completionist in that way in this game that that's a change and i felt like we did a couple good jobs of like finding and and like okay that's a red herring that's a red herring but we had one where we just we just we're just like, we're just going to keep pushing through. We're not going to cut our losses. Mm-hmm. And we got burned. And we got burned on it. But I don't think that, that that didn't ruin the game for us. Good. It was it was damper. It was a damper. The problem was that after that, we we tried to rush. We tried to rush through. And, and then that's when we just kind of like, okay, we want to we push the story forward. But we're, we're hitting roadblocks. But, yeah. 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 So that, that, that ends our, our Thursday evening. And again... My deepest, sincerest apologies for abandoning you during your Time Stories game. Because I was really excited to watch you guys play it. And I loved watching you guys play your first run. But then I had that panic moment of, I should probably go check into my hotel before they cancel my reservation. It it was good. And you and I have the same thing. Is that I think sometimes watching people enjoy a game is almost as rewarding as playing the game. And that's exactly how I felt after I played the game. I was like, I want other people to play this and I want to watch them play yeah because it it is it really is it's a it's a very it's a very unique experience and there is actually a choice within the game that most people don't follow that actually reveals a secondary puzzle not nearly as involved or complex as the the core one that everyone has to go through to, to finish the game but there is a choice you can make within that game where it it, it, it ends up revealing an extra task you have to go through, which I thought was really cool. In one of our play runs, we did that, and I really enjoyed that. But then the second run, we realized, oh, well, we can do something else. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, we played Trickerian, got my copy. I had read the rules beforehand. But for some reason, reading the rules and then getting everything laid out on the table, 
it becomes a disconnect. For some reason, I have to get my hands on the pieces. There were some rules I completely screwed up, which is why I probably felt compelled to help teach people on the last day to don't don't mess up what I did. Mm-hmm. So uh, overall, I was I was rather frustrated at the end of our first game. So when I realized I had botched up the rules pretty majorly, I was actually quite relieved because <laughs> I thought, oh, I bought a really broken game. So here's what happened. I started us out with, you have a certain number of playbills, a certain number of performance cards that will come out. And I actually made it to a point where I didn't load enough of those into the game. So at the end game, you're supposed, in a three-player game, you should have you should have four playbills available. Mm-hmm. Our game ended with one. Yeah. So whoever was in last place... Oh, sorry. Whoever was last on initiative. So I was in. I was winning the game at that point. We go. It was a close game, but we go into that last round, and there's only one one playbill available, which is the whole scoring. That's where you score all your points in the game. Is performing your tricks. That's the whole point of the game. And I got shut out because I was performing last. You guys filled that card up with all your tricks, and then it was it was game over. Yeah. So I think moving beyond that. An incomplete perspective on how the actual full game goes. That's why I decided to create a video explaining the rules for this game. I have scoured the rule book. I feel like I have completely mastered <laughs> how this game is supposed to be played. So I'm putting out a video here here soon that will hopefully explain some of the complexities of that game. Yeah. So even though we played the game wrong, we even messed up some things with the links. Like... You were supposed to get a fame point or a coin whenever you form a link, even when it didn't have that Trickerian shard in the middle. Didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of things going on. So kind of an incomplete perspective, what did you think of Trickerian? Took me a while to get into it, kind of fried my brain just a little bit. Wasn't sure exactly where, you know, how to get started, how to get some traction. But I thought it was pretty good. With our incomplete play of it, I was a little worried because I felt like wow, you really have to time this just right so that you're not in the lead. And i that's one of the things that I'm not crazy about in Power Grid. And it was kind of a similar feeling um, that I had. And so I was a little bit worried. But once you explain that we had missed messed that up and, and we're missing a couple playbills, that definitely would change the game quite a bit, open it up. Yeah. yeah. I was really surprised. I, I love the theme. The theme and the mechanics, I, the mechanisms, I really felt like those came through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like I'm a magician. The the cog started turning. The observation that I had is that this game's got a lot of moving parts. You don't quite feel that way. I didn't feel that way. Like looking at the board, it was like, okay, I can do this. But I just felt like there were a ton of, there's a ton of parts moving on the board. There are a ton of parts moving like on your play bo- player board. But in the end, I walked away, even though we played the game wrong, I was I was totally on board to playing again. I was totally on board to playing again. We played the base game, like the vanilla game. And it was a it was a it there were a lot of moving parts. It was it it's a gamer's game. Even the base game is, I think, advanced. It's not like gateway game by any stretch. No, I would after going through it, I feel like it's probably still a medium weight game at the base game. I think our first game was a little bit rough. Once you add in the Dark Alley expansion, which comes in the core set of the game, uh-huh. um, which will increase the amount of time this game is going to take to play, I think... I don't know how well we would do in the advanced game because you're you're having to go to the Dark Alley and you're going to be buying new assignment cards for yourself. You start out with fewer assignment cards. You have to go buy more assignment cards. And these assignment cards are one-time uses. There's a special ability with that card. Once you use it, it goes away. Mm -hmm. You get two more rounds in the game. But I think having to mess with, oh, which of these cards do I want to get and keep that straight? And then you've got the prophecies. There's three prophecies. Each round, there'll be a special event that triggers depending upon what prophecy comes out. So then you have to figure out which of these prophecies do I want to make sure comes out? Which one do I want to avoid so it doesn't help my opponent? I think analysis paralysis is going to kill it for us. Yeah. But I I am excited to actually play 
another round of the base game of Drakirian before I jump into the advanced game. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's with the add-on set, you can even add an even more complexity with the magician powers. Which is what I really want to try. Yes. But again, so I think we're a couple of games away from getting to that point. We'll see. The good news is though is that even though we had a rough game, it didn't kill it for me. I really I thought it was I thought it was good. I really want to play again. Uh, that was definitely one. It was a perfect convention game. So I, I, I liked it. Yeah. So I was sweating it at the end because I was like, wow. I was feeling like, Jonathan, it's it's it was a very harsh penalty at the end for for being in in low, last initiative position. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when we play the end game properly. It won't be as vital. If there's a spot you really want to have, yeah, you may want to hold back on a few points so you can get that higher initiative, so you can get that first crack at what space you want, but it's not going to be nearly as tight as the game we played. So yeah. overall, I, I'm, I'm glad I picked it up, and I, I look forward to trying it out again. So we're probably going to be splitting this podcast into two pieces because we've got a lot to talk about. So we're going to be doing a punch list for the first half of this episode, and we'll finish up the second half with another punch list. So, without any further ado, it's time for the punch list. And so the punch list, we come up with some category of a board game, and everyone else has to come up with some game they believe meets that condition. A game that they believe is punch-worthy. Perhaps not the best game, but a game they consider to be a favorite. So this time we're going to have Jonathan do our punch list. What do you have for us? Thinking about the concept of time travel, um, you know, you think of a game like Time Stories. And I I was just struck with the idea, if I could go back to my teenage self or my early 20s self or however old you were when you kind of got into some gaming, you know, what kind of a game would you take back from now to that age and share with your younger self? This kind of goes in along with our, our conversation about how our tastes have changed and things like that. For me, I'm really torn on this question, even though it's my question. I really kind of want to take back kind of a, a lighter to medium weight euro and, and say, hey, there's more than just axes and allies out there. But I also have to think about who I was at that age. And I think for me, the game would be Mice and Mystics um, because... You've got that dice rolling. You've got that storytelling element. And I just think it's something that, you know, I've always been interested in RPGs, and there's that kind of RPG element. And I think that's something that would definitely appeal to the younger me. You're just trying to butter up Jerry Hawthorne now. Pretty much. (laughs) Clint, do you have a game? Um, I was thinking about it, and uh, I remember one of the games that really got me into gaming in high school was Axis and Allies. I would have really, I would have gone back in time. I think I would have given myself uh, Age of Empires 3. It was one of those, it's that, it's that Euro type game that has a lot of Euro centric things. It does have a little fighting so that it would give me a little groundwork. But uh, that game is just so fun for me. I, I've, that's kind of rekindled. That's in my top 10. But I, I think that that would have opened my mind to this idea of Euro games, which I didn't have any idea, but have that cool thematic bridge of discovery in the new world, which is like got me hook, line, and seeker. So I think that I would uh, pass myself. Uh, I'd go to Eagle Griffin. I'd buy the, the new beautiful box, and I would, uh, I would, I would send that back. Yeah, for me, I think I would want to be introduced to cooperative games earlier on. I actually had a the semi-cooperative game, the Clue the Great Museum Caper, which was, again, it wasn't until years later when I started playing uh, Spectra Ops, I was like, oh, wow, this reminds me a lot of that game. And I loved that game whenever I was a kid. But I think if I could like take back kind of a, kind of a quintessential cooperative game like Pandemic or something like that, and introduce, introduce that to my to my younger self, I don't know. That might have changed some things. But I guess I, I, in all these examples, I think we're kind of taking things that we already love and wanting to be exposed to it even earlier. Because you're kind of wanting, you know, like you said, you you already love your Age of Empires game quite a bit. You're already pining over the new edition that Griffin Games is put Eagle Griffin's putting out. So I don't know. I think I would like to be able to I love cooperative games and I wish that I could 
be exposed to a little bit more because sometimes convincing people to play a cooperative game is a little bit tough because um, they're just not used to it. So I wish I could go back, get exposed to that, and expose more people to it earlier on. So. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. All righty. So I believe that brings the conclusion of podcast number 19 of the Punched and Played podcast. This ends part one of our Board Game Geek Convention recap. So just as a quick reminder, you can always like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Punched Played. You can also find us on our website at punchedandplayed.com. So, until next time, which will be part two, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. Yeah.